this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode the still unofficial victory of bongbong marcos son of the late dictator ferdinand marcos in the philippine presidential election is both comprehensive and complete a family that had to flee the country is now back in power for those familiar with the country's politics it doesn't come as a surprise powered by facebook and other forms of social media the narrative around the marcos family was carefully altered over the years bongbong replaces strongman president roberto duterte a polarizing figure in the country's politics will bongbong be like his father or duterte in his political practice or will he prove to be a surprise package the philippines which has a long standing alliance with the united states has to contend with an increasingly assertive china what will be the new president's foreign policy to discuss these issues i have with me senior singapore based journalist and associate editor of the straits times newspaper ravi velur welcome to the in focus podcast ravi thank you amit for having me on your show ravi my first question to you what does ferdinand marcos junior's election spell for the philippines uh, i i like it i like your question uh, amir and it's a very open ended one and i really would not know where to start but uh, i must say that uh, the first thing uh, what it means for the philippines is the power of forgiveness you know uh, and uh, if you uh, as you mentioned in your introductory remarks uh, you know in the manner in which uh, the marcos family was uh, thrown out of uh, the philippines in uh, 1986 because of the people's power revolution uh you know the entire family uh, uh, lock stock and battle and uh, many many uh, boxes of uh, wealth uh, flown by helicopter to uh, nearby air base and then on to hawaii uh, where mr uh, the older marcos died in 1989 and uh, you know i mean the family left in disgrace uh, you know the, 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 it was a tremendous revolution four days of huge protest he had no option but to leave and to think that the same family should be back now uh the same name and uh, you know you introduced uh, uh, bongbong as uh, 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 mr marcus as bongbong marcus which is of course his nickname but he carries his father's name he's uh, ferdinand marcus the second so i think it's a tremendous about face uh, it also shows that um, some features of the philippines uh, which is unique uh, you know the median uh, uh, age of the population uh is about 23 and a half uh you know there are 110 million filipinos and uh, uh 70 if i'm not mistaken 76 77% of them are uh, 76 million of them uh have uh, uh are on facebook well which means uh, of the internet penetration 98 of 100 of them are on facebook so it's a young generation the country with the highest use of social media in 4 hours 15 minutes 4 hours 30 minutes a day on average unbelievable numbers uh and uh, uh all this put together and a very very calibrated careful uh clever campaign uh, by the uh, marcos team i think uh, pushed them through plus some other reasons as well 
So, Ravi, uh, you know, Ferdinand Marcos II has pledged to be a unifier, even as he has avoided uh, questions at press conferences. So, do you think this is something which uh, will continue in his presidency? What kind of a leader do you think he'll turn out to be? It's a bit too early to say, but uh, I would, uh, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, well, at least he's been a unifier in one sense that, uh, uh, you know, his family, his stronghold is in the north of the Philippines, uh, the province of Ilocos Norte. And um, his teammate, his running mate is uh, vice presidential elect, which is uh, uh, Sarah Duterte, comes from the southern Mindanao province. So in a sense, he's by, by combining the two, uh, he's already in a sense uh, joined north and south. So uh, that element of unification is there, but then there are a whole lot of uh, 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 things that he has to do uh, coming out of COVID. Lots of families have lost uh, loved ones. There have been lost, uh, lots of people who uh, lost loved ones during the uh, Duterte war on uh, drugs. Uh, many people are in uh, jail. Uh, the economy has been hurting. And uh, so uh, he has a lot to do to uh, put things together. And I think if his intentions are to unify, I think let's give him the benefit of the doubt and see where he goes. Right. Do you also see, I mean, we had Roberto Duterte go before him, and we have a number of strong men in politics uh, across the world in power. You know, we have the Rajapakses in uh, some serious trouble in Sri Lanka. Uh, we have Mr. Erdogan in Turkey. Uh, we have, of course, uh, Mr. Putin uh, in Russia, and we've seen the results of whatever's going on there. But what is your sense? I mean... Did you miss your own prime minister? Uh, I was coming to that. So uh, so the thing is that uh, the point I'm trying to make is that, is this an era of strong men in politics? Uh, and is this something which we will see play out more and more? in the Philippines um, and uh, in the world in general? I think uh, voters generally like strong people in politics. And I mean, it goes back to even Mrs. Gandhi uh, in India during the uh, 70s. Uh, you know, despite what she did with the emergency, she's still remembered as a strong person, uh, a person who gave strength to the nation and who, who radiated a certain uh, power, which is welcome. And, uh, you know, in, in times like these, when uh, there is uh, what you might call a democratic uh, regression, you know, I'm not surprised that people look for uh, strong people to try give them a chance to uh, put their faith in, in what they think the strong men and, and women might do. So um, if you look at the Southeast Asian situation, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, Malaysia has had... Uh, three prime ministers in uh, short order. Uh, you had, uh, you know, democracy sort of failed, you could say, in Myanmar uh, in its own way. Thailand is run by uh, basically the military. So, uh, you know, most of Indochina is like that. So I think in, in, in that kind of situation when uh, there's what uh, sociologists might call uh, a state of anomie, uh, which is what has happened in the last two years with COVID, you know, the confusion and everything else that uh, has followed, the fear of losing jobs, of losing uh, you know, uh, people. And if you put it all together, I think there's always uh, a yearning for strength. And, uh, uh, you know, in that way, I think Mr. Marcus uh, probably offers that opportunity. 
but combined, I must add, uh, with this uh, running mate, uh, Sarah Duterte's strength, you know, if you, if you look at the numbers, um, Mrs. Duterte has actually, uh, Ms. Duterte has actually polled a few thousand votes more than uh, Bong Bong did. Uh, and uh, so it is also her strength, which uh, he has uh, leveraged uh, very assiduously uh, to beat uh, his challenger, uh, top challenger is uh, Lenny Robredo, who had beaten him in the vice presidential election last time around. So uh, now, uh, would you say that, uh, you know, uh, Philippines is also, in a sense, a divided polity? Uh, those who remember the excesses of the Marcos era, uh, many of them were on streets uh, protesting against uh, the vote count and the voting uh, vote counting machines. But would you say that a large number of people simply don't remember the you know the tenure of Ferdinand Marcos Senior from 1965 uh, to 1986? Well, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I think two thirds of Filipinos uh, who voted uh, in the 18 to 41 age group, and um, you know they have no memories of uh, the Marcos era. And uh, even if they did, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, what happened 40 years back seems like a distant memory and uh, people forget. And uh, you know, odd things happen in uh, politics. Uh, you were posted in uh, Sri Lanka and you very well know that before Ranil Vikramasinghe was uh, offered the prime ministership, uh, Gotabaya Rajapaksha offered it to uh, Sarad Fonseca, whom he had jailed and, uh, you know, uh, put in prison. So. Things change. Uh, that is politics, and I think uh, Filipinos have their fair share of it. And you also pointed to, you know, the, the point about Facebook, uh, and we also know that uh, Philippines has a very strong radio tradition on on the news front as well. So, what is your sense? Uh, you know, you've been watching this region for a long time. You've been writing on it uh, for several decades. What is your sense? I mean, in the era of social media, and you mentioned Facebook earlier, how many Filipinos are on Facebook? So is it that elections are no longer about, you know, the actual vote and uh, people's minds are being sort of, um, you know, maneuvered and uh, the message is being manicured in such a way that you simply sort of, uh, you know, continue from one message uh, to another and people uh, and politicians find that a very effective medium of communication. I think that's a very good point and I think many uh, valid uh, reasons to think that uh, is a perfectly uh, valid argument uh, and, and it is true, you know, what you call the word you used is manicured, which I think is a very polite word for uh, fake news and everything else. Uh, it happens a lot. It happens everywhere. It happens in India. And, but that is the price we pay for open systems and uh, keeping access to uh, social media available to uh, people. Otherwise, you can go the way some other countries have done and completely shut down these things and just have one message which is broadcast to the people. So it's a price we pay for democracy. And, uh, you know, the only way to do that is uh, vigilance uh, to counter it and to counter the narratives, but sometimes people with more money, uh, they have the edge and uh, I think the Marcos campaign was not short of funds and they had the smarts and I think they pulled it off. But uh, in the Philippines, you have a very free and independent press also, perhaps one of the most modern in Southeast Asia. And uh, so do you think that they will be able to, you know, fact check and put a point of view across, uh, you know, which contests the official uh, sort of line? Well, Amit, 
you know, I think if you see post Donald Trump and uh, the Filipinos uh, watch what happens in the United States very, very carefully. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, in some countries, there have been uh, responsible ministers who refer to journalists as prostitutes. So um, there has been a clear, concerted campaign by key voices, key politicians to run down the credibility of media. And I think in the Philippines, too, uh, there would be an element of that that, that has crept in, you know, a suspicion of journalists uh, that, uh, you know, uh, the feeling that they are no better than other people in society whom they criticize. So there's been an issue of, uh, 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 of key voices, influential politicians deliberately running down the credibility of the media. And in that sense, uh, it does hurt democracy. And that seems to be working. I mean, this undermining the media and using norm, uh, using forums to directly communicate with people, that seems to be working for these strong men we were talking about. Well, you know, if you look at uh, Bong Wong Marcos, uh, he didn't appear on presidential debates and didn't give too many interviews or anything in this campaign. He went directly to the people. And uh, it's the same strategy that I saw in India in 2014 as well, uh, and subsequently, that, uh, uh, you know, you don't need journalists as uh, mediators or as communicators or as post officers to, to communicate with, uh, uh, with the masses. Now you can do it directly. And that's what uh, politicians are learning and doing. Uh, and the Philippines, what you just saw, was an extreme case of that. So, Ravi, now to move to the all-important issue of, uh, you know, what might be the foreign policy under Bong Bong. You know, it's a difficult geography to be in. And uh, we all know uh, the Chinese uh, posture currently. Uh, we also know what is uh, the United States' greater interest in what they have suddenly started calling the Indo-Pacific. I'll leave that uh, definition for another time. But we also see that uh, both the U.S. President uh, Joe Biden and the Chinese President Xi Jinping have uh, greeted uh, Bong Bong Marcos. So what is your sense of how will uh, uh, you know Marcos uh, Jr., play the foreign policy game in what is clearly a difficult environment? Well, Amit, I don't think he's going to rock the boat in any significant way. His instincts are very Western. He even claims to have a degree from Oxford. So, uh, uh, you know, when, when trouble came, he'll remember that uh, he was maybe 23 years old or so. And it was the U.S. that shipped him out uh, to Hawaii and uh, uh, probably with uh, U.S. influence, uh, Mrs. Cory Aquino uh, agreed to let the family back in 1991, which is how the Marcoses came back. Uh, we're not too clear about that. But um, let me say this, uh, uh, no leader, however strong, and you know, I must congratulate Mr. Marcos on the landslide that he is uh, affected. No leader can stand against the broader wishes of the people. And in the Philippines, uh, you know, there used to be a time when uh, nationalism, Filipino nationalism, is defined in anti-American terms. Today, that nationalism is defined in anti-Chinese terms. Eight in ten Filipinos want Manila to take a stronger stand against Beijing. So he cannot stand against that. And his economic interests are very, very clear where they lie. Uh, the Philippines economy is a remittances-based economy. And those remittances come largely from uh, the United States, 
and from uh, a key U.S. ally, uh, you know, in the Gulf uh, uh, states, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, UAE, uh, Kuwait, Qatar, uh, he cannot stand against uh, these facts. And the Chinese know it, which is why even when Mr. Duterte was making all these pro-China noises, the Chinese never really bought that line. They didn't really take him that seriously. They let him say what he wanted. They know that uh, the Filipinos cannot be untethered from the United States. And that is the stark reality of their situation. And um, that's how it's going to be. But it's good. I mean, like everybody else, uh, you know, he will make pro-China noises, which he should. In this neighborhood, China is a geographical reality, you know. The United States is a strategic construct. Uh, so you cannot avoid uh, China. Uh, you want to sell your bananas. Chinese are the biggest market for every country in Southeast Asia. China is the number one trading partner, top trading partner. So these are realities that cannot be wished away. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, Mr. Biden reached out to Mr. Marcos very early. Uh, the United States needs uh, Philippines for its uh, defense line uh, if its intention is to stop China from uh, accessing the Pacific. Uh, you must have read that the Solomon Islands uh, has signed a very funny deal uh, with Chinese, uh, which has not really been published. So the uh, Americans will be even more mindful, and it's uh, you know it's good for the Philippines if uh, if uh, the Americans think that uh, you know. Filipinos have a Chinese option because it will give them more attention from Biden, uh, from Washington, D.C. in general, and I think it's good for them. So from your perch in uh, Singapore, Ravi, I mean, we see, uh, you know, India has its own fair share of uh, problems with uh, China, as you're well aware of. What is your sense of Chinese policy uh, towards Southeast Asia as a whole? Uh, we see an increasingly assertive leadership, uh, no doubt. But in concrete terms, how would you assess China's uh, approach to Philippines, with which it has a you know enormous uh, territorial dispute? So, how how do you see China in the next few years, uh, you know, as we go ahead? Well, the Chinese are very clear, Amit, that uh, they would like to see Southeast Asia integrate economically. You know, they like regional integration when it comes to uh, the economy, but. Uh, uh, in private meetings, they are very open to tell you that they will not uh, really like to see Southeast Asia come together as a political union because it may not be in their interest. And they will work to keep things, uh, I would say, divided, but so that they don't coalesce too uh, clearly. And um, they do it effectively uh, currently through countries like uh, Cambodia, uh, you know, which, of course, has been very friendly with them. Uh, so that's, that's their plan. And I think uh, with the Philippines, as I said, they know that the Philippines can uh, never be uh, uh, pulled away from the U.S. Uh, uh, orbit. Because uh, even in the height of uh, Filipino anti-U.S. nationalism, when they were throwing out Clark, and they were throwing, uh, I mean, they were throwing out the Americans from Clark Air Base and Subic Bay, I, I know it's almost a cliche now, you know, the, the saying used to be GI go, uh, uh, but uh, take me with you. you know, that was the Filipino attitude, if you remember. So the Chinese are very real, realistic people. They know what is possible and um, what is not. Uh, uh, I don't, they haven't made any concessions to the Philippines so far. So, you know, on the territorial issues that uh, you mentioned, and I don't see them, um, 
uh, softening up uh, just to get uh, markers round to their corner, which because they know it's not possible uh, beyond the point. Ravi Velur, thank you so much for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Abhi. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.